It was in 1907 that a school teacher by the name of Anna Jarvis, who taught school in Philadelphia, wanted to honor her mom. Her mom's name was Anna Maria Reeves Jarvis. And uh, Anne wanted to, um, Anna wanted to honor her mom. And so she, she sought the help of some local business people and uh, legislators even and, some, and several different people to, to create a special day. And the first Mother's Day observance was a church service in the year 1907 there to honor uh, Miss Reeves. Anna handed out her mother's flavor, favorite flowers uh, that day. Her mother's favorite flower was a white carnation. And uh, she handed those out to all the moms present as a token of their sweetness, purity, and patience. It would be seven years later in 1914 when then-President Woodrow Wilson would uh, sign a proclamation setting aside the second Sunday of May as a national holiday in honor of mothers. And since then, uh, many other countries around the world have days of special observance, and several uh, are honoring Mother's Day today, the second Sunday as we are. So uh, we'll be honoring our mothers in service here a little bit later on at the end of the service in a very special way with the flowers up here. I want to talk about encouraging the encouragers, encouraging the encouragers. And indeed, I think that moms are probably our first cheerleaders. They're our first encouragers. And uh, I, th I think that's by God's design that they've that, that he's called them to that role and they do it quite well. I want you to join me, if you will. You should be in Judges right now. And I want to take a look at one of those moms in the Bible who is a unique lady and a tremendous encourager. And I want us to glean and learn some things from her. The lady's name was Deborah. And her story is found in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. She is the first, and as far as I know, the only woman judge of Israel. And what makes that so significant is that this is the time before kings, uh, and a, a judge was, uh, was a one-person supreme court. They were a one-person commander-in-chief. They made those decisions at the top of the ladder, and, Deborah, and God had called and placed Deborah in that unique position in a time that culturally was unheard of. And uh, Chapter four is a, is a unique chapter. We're going to be spending most of the time there. But before we go there, there's a verse seven in chapter five that I want us to look at. And what happens, chapter four is a, is a great account of Israel and a, of a great victory, a military victory. But in chapter five, Deborah and her commander in chief, who's a guy by the name of Barak, and chapter five is a song that Deborah and Barak sing after the victory that God has given them in chapter four. And as they're singing this song, verse seven is, is, is a, a part that Deborah's singing. And I want, to know, want you to just notice, Deborah could have sung about her being the first woman judge. Deborah could have sung about her being her position of commander in chief. She could have sung about all, all kinds of accolades. But in verse seven of chapter five, reads this way says, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother 
in Israel. She chose of all the things that she could have said about herself that would have been true and that would have been kind of like name dropping, you know? She says, the thing that stood prominent and and, and uh, above all others was, I'm a a mom. I was a mom. Now, to all you mothers here uh, and to those of us who realize, you mothers are still all those things today. (laughs) You are uh, oftentimes a commander in chief. You are oftentimes the supreme judge. You are oftentimes a peacemaker and the motivator in the homes. And we honor you. But this is what Deborah, as she is singing this great song of victory, she said, I'm just a mom. Just a mom. Don't ever say you're just a mom. Say it proudly. I'm a mom. Deborah said, I'm a mom in Israel. Now, go with me and let's back up and let's look at what prompted this song uh, and, the victory, and the battle that took place before that. In chapter, and we're going to read in chapter four, but in chapter three, the Moabites uh, uh, under King Eglon, and Eglon was a, a very, uh, there's no other way of saying it. He was a very fat man, okay? Uh, and uh, and, and he, was a, he was a king of the Moabites. And in cha- toward the end of chapter three, Ehud uh, assassinated Eglon. And so for 80 years during the time that Ehud lived, Israel had a uh, uh, pretty much as, as peaceful as it could get. They had, they had and enjoyed peace. Then we're going to pick up in chapter four. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. Now, if you remember reading through these, uh, these Old Testament books, especially the times of the judges, it seemed like they had this cycle thing going on. That, uh, that God would bring, uh, that Israel would forget God. God would bring a, a heathen king or that, that, would, that would conquer Israel to discipline them, to chasten them, to bring them back to a place of humbling them. And they would pray and cry out to God. And then God would hear them and he would raise up a deliverer and that, that he would deliver them and they would enjoy a period of peace until a time when maybe that, that leader died and then they would again go back to forgetting God. And it was like a cycle. I'm reading this. I remember, I used to read this and think, you dummies. I really did. I really did. Well, you know, you dummies, you're, you're the nation that God, you, you were down in Egypt. Don't you remember the, 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 the plagues, the, you know, those, those plagues down there, how God brought you out? Don't you remember that he parted the Red Sea? Do you, do you not remember these great things that God has done for you? How could you forget God? And then I look around and I say, we're, we're, not, we're not really a lot of difference today, are we? Barb, Barbie and I have been, we, we've been talking about our short-term memory. We can't remember it, but we think we miss it. All right. Yeah, we, 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 think we, we, we think we miss it. One of the most embarrassing things took place to me this week. And uh, we met a, a local person and uh, we saw him in, the, in, a, in one of the places in town this week. And uh, she said, Jerry, she said, I just wanted you to know that, that that funeral was so powerful. And it just spoke to me. And, and I said, well, Martha, Martha Cohn was a good woman. And, uh, and she said, well, it just meant a lot to me. And I said, well, Martha was a good woman. And she was walking away. I realized I didn't do Martha's funeral. I did Tim's funeral. 
And I went back and I told Barbara, I said, Barb, she was talking about Tim's funeral. I kept saying Martha. And Barbara just looked at me. She said, she said bless your heart, honey. <laughs> so, you know, we, our, that short-term memory, I, I think I miss it. But when it comes to the things of God, we, I, I, I realize people, we tend, we tend to forget the blessings of God and the goodness of God. And, and it behooves us. It's incumbent upon you and me this morning that understand and realize that God is good. Jeff gets up here Sunday after Sunday and he says, God is good all the time. And I'll never forget when I first, uh, when I first grabbed a hold of that, Pastor Bill, he, he came up in one Sunday morning and he said, God is good. And I said, that's great. And he said, it's biblical. And he took me to the Old Testament where it says, God is good. You know, and all the time, God is good. And, and it's really, we need to be sure that, that we keep saying that and that we remind those coming behind us of that. Well, what happened, Ehud had died. And now, once again, Israel is forsaking their God. So, what does God do? Verse 2. And so the Lord raises up, uh, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was how do you say that name? Cicera, how do you say it? Cicero? Cicero. I'd call him Cicero if I know, but Cicero. Now, Jabin was a king, a Canaanite king. Canaanites were known for their uh, idolatry. They were Baal worshipers. Baal was, a, uh, and, and one of the ways they, they worshiped him was human sacrifices and a lot of other horrible ways, Baal was known as the god of storms. He dwelled in storms, okay? He was this, this fearsome god. That they, he, they were, that's the Canaanites. And, and Jabin's commander was Assyria, whatever his name is. And, and he dwelt here at this place of the, of the Gentiles. Harosheth. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, for our Syria had 900 chariots of iron. In 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Now, this is a big deal. It's, it's, it's very significant. Matter of fact, this is the second time that it mentions this. Early in the, earlier in the book, chapter one of Judges, it, men, it mentions Cicero with his, with his, with his uh, armored divisions, with his chariots of iron. And unheard of, unheard of. They, and now they were... Uh, they had Israel under subjection, and, and uh, any sign of rebellion would quickly be literally crushed under the wheels and the weight of these iron chariots. There was nobody that could match those. There was nobody that had anything that, that could come up against those. And so for 20 years, he kept a hand of oppression heavily upon the children of Israel. But God hears their cry. And it's during that time that God calls Deborah to lead the nation of Israel. Verse four. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel during that time. In other words, she's a leader of Israel during that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment, for her decisions, for her rules. 
Then God spoke to Deborah. And God gives Deborah as a leader of Israel a message. And the message Deborah is now conveying to her commander-in-chief, Barak. She called uh, Barak, the son of Abam, out of Kadesh Naphtali and said unto him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? In other words, she said, hey, this is God's word to you. Go and draw towards Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun. And he says, he says, as you go to the, toward Tabor, the Kishon River, God says, I'm going to bring Caesarea, the leader of Jabin's army, to you there near the Kishon River. Now, chapter, verse 7, God's word is always so cool. But verse 7, I was reading this and I was thinking, that is, <clears throat> that's hilarious. Because look what, look, what, look what God said to Deborah, what Deborah's telling, telling Barak. He's saying, you go to Mount Tabor, the Kishon River, and I'm going to bring Jabin with his chariots and multitude. You've got to be kidding me. I'm, not, I'm not like saying, God, why couldn't he just say, I'll bring that, I'll bring the king, I'll bring that, that leader over there, you know, Sisera, I'll bring him over there. Why did you have to say, and with those big iron chariots? You know, with those big iron chariots and his multitude. Wow. That's, I mean, I think God's wanting to get the picture to Barak. I'm going to bring him and all he's got. All he's got. He's going to come because he is used to literally crushing, destroying, annihilating any rebellion. And he said, hey, go over there to the Kishon River and I'll bring him to you. <laughs> now, to me, that's like a dog chasing a car. I've always said, what would that dog do if he caught it, Right. <clears throat> Can he shake it? Can he grab it? What's he going to do? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Barak's going to say, yeah, big boy, I'm going to go over there to Keyshawn River, and he's going to bring them all to me. Once he's brought them all to me, what am I going to do with them? But God says, I'm going to deliver him into your hand. This was the message from the commander-in-chief to the, her general, to General Barak. Look at verse 8. And Barak said to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you're not going with me, there ain't no way I'm going. Now, let me ask you military, you military men and women. If your commander-in-chief called you in and gave you an order, how long would it take if you said to them, I mean, I'm thinking today, the commander-in-chief calls one of our generals in, and he says, hey, I want you to, I want you, I want you to go uh, you know, the Lord forbid, but I want you to go into North Korea and I want you to, I want you to take care of this situation there. What about if that general said, uh, you know what, if you'll go with me, we'll go. But I ain't going it by myself. Yeah, right. You don't do that. You take orders from the commander in chief and you yes sir him and you salute him or salute her or him. But Barak said, I ain't going to go unless you go with me. Now, there's, there's uh, the things that happened at this point is like amazing to me. First of all, it's, it's amazing to me that Deborah didn't say, you know what? You just go on back home and lock the door. I've got other generals that'll go and won't be afraid. 
You know, she could have just relieved him of his command, which, which today it wouldn't take long to happen, Pastor, if you say that's just that quick, snap of a finger, and it wouldn't have to be all the way, all right? She could have relieved him. She could have replaced him with someone better or someone that wasn't afraid. Or, or she could have said to him, you know what? You just go home. I can handle this because God's going to do it. I'll do it. I'll get all the glory. I'll do it. Or she could have, she could have just dressed him down when he, says, when he says this to her. I'm not going unless you go. She could have dressed him down in front of his man in such a way that she, he, he would have been embarrassed and totally just destroyed. He would have never had the confidence of his men again. She could have done all those things. Or she could have done what a lot of times we, I know none of you would ever do, but I've made the mistake. She could have tried to fix him. You know, she could have tried to, she could have tried to just to figure out what was wrong and, and counsel him and work through it. Oftentimes with our, especially if we aren't careful, with our loved ones, the people we're close to, you know, when they're, when they're just crippled by fear or overcoming fear, we try to fix them. We try to fix. Barbie, I'm sure our 47 years, be this June, I know she's sometimes tried to fix me. God bless her. It's a hard fix. And, uh, and we laugh and we tell people now because I, I tried to fix her. Uh, she, Barbie's a night person. She can do more after 11 o'clock. She can get more after 11 o'clock than I can get done from 7 till 11. All right, that's of a morning till night. I'm a morning person. And I'm, I was sure that God liked morning people better than night people. I mean, it's, it's, it's biblical. <clears throat> Scripture says, David says, early in the morning will I rise, you know, and I'll pray to you. And I just, I just I, you know, it's there. So I'm, I'm a morning person. I wake up and when I, my feet hit the ground, I'm about as wide awake as I'm going to get. And I'm, I'm good to go till about 9 or 9.30 at night. And then I'm not good for much except to go to bed. So Barbie, you know, Barbie was just, she, she was this other person. She was this night person. And we tried everything, and I've shared with you how that uh, there was a period of time there when we were having, Janie was having prayer meetings at her, her trailer. Every morning, 5.30, I think it was, 5.30, we, we worked. We had to be at work at 7. And we were over, this was, you know, months and months we did this. And God loved my wife. You know, everybody was spiritual, and Barbie would be over there. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew she was spiritual, and I thought, thought start with, I thought she's just, she just so deep with Jesus, you know, but then... Every once in a while, she'd just purr. She never snores, but she'd just purr. <laughs> and Barbie said to me one, one morning, she said, honey, this is, she said, we, we've got to, you've got to do something. She said, can we walk over to, the, to Janie's? It wasn't far, maybe a half mile, something like that, um, three quarters mile. She said, let's walk in that way. It'll wake me up and I'll be awake for the prayer meeting. Didn't work. And I was, you know, and I, and I, and I can't, it, it was horrible. I, I was, it was, it was horrible. I wasn't ugly, but I just figured, you know, if she ever got really saved, she'd be a morning person like me. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then she said to me one time, she came to me and she had biblical proof. She said, I want you to know God made owls. <laughs> God made night owls. Now get off my case. And I, and it was a really, to me, first of all, to realize, you know what? I've been trying to fix her and she's already fixed. She's the way God created her to be. And, 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 and it was awesome. And I can appreciate and enjoy that. Well, we try to fix people. Deborah could have tried to fix uh, her, her leader, Barak. She could, have, she could have said, you know, come and let me, let's do this. Let's try this. Let's try that. She could have done all those things, but she did. What she done stood, just amazes me. 
So what Deborah tells him in verse nine is this. She said to him, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. The first thing that I want to notice is that Deborah encouraged Barak with her presence. Now, for those of you that were here for Dr. George Gowder's funeral, his son, Dr. David Gowder, was, was, uh, was given a eulogy and remembering, remembering his dad. And it's kind of the first time I, I've ever heard this verbalized. He called it the, the ministry of the doctor's presence. And David would tell about people that had been, were sick and, uh, and, and, you know, and they'd want to know when Dr. George, where, where's Dr. George? And they could be sick. They may have been admitted to the hospital or something. But the minute that Dr. George would walk into the room, they would start getting better. And David says that there's, he says that, there, that medically there is a term for this and that it is literal, it's true and that it's measurable. In other words, People, when, when a doctor that people have confidence in, when they trust, someone they trust is there and they trust knows what they're doing and can get them better. When that person is present, the blood pressure starts going down, the heart rate slows down. They, there's, there's, a, there's a calming effect. Maybe it deals with the fear. Uh, and so Deborah encouraged Barak with the ministry of her presence. Now I thought about that. That's what moms do. That's exactly what moms do. I mean, we, come on, dads. We, we are there. But, when, but from the earliest age, who can kiss the hurt out of a boo-boo? It's mom. It's mom. The kids are there. They're crying. And, and, and they go on their mom. And, and they may be my buddies, but when they crawl up in their mom's arm, it's immediately better because mom's there. I, and, and it doesn't end when, they're, when they get bigger. You know, as they get bigger, then it's, it's just, it, mom, can, I, can we sit down and just talk? Or it's a phone call. And just because mom is there, things are better. I thought about, I thought about the presence of ministry presence, and I thought about Jesus. In his young years, <clears throat> Mary knew. Mary and Joseph possibly I know Mary told Joseph and, and the angel appeared to Joseph and told him too. But, but Jesus' mom knew this is God's son. He had other people in the community and the rumor was that he, that he was just an illegitimate, that he was born before the, Joseph and Mary were married so he, they didn't know who his daddy was. That's the truth. They had no idea who his daddy was. They had no idea, you know. But all, then, then as, he grew, as he got older and then as he, as he got to a man and went out, I can imagine, I don't know, we kind of don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, Joseph most likely died. And so here is, is Jesus, the oldest, and now he's in the carpenter's shop where he's learned the trade from his earthly father, and he's supporting, and he's keep taking care of the family, and he's helping put food on the table for the, and by the way, that was a good prayer. I'm looking at where he, that young man was, is. It's a good prayer. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the food on our table. And so Jesus is, is doing that, supporting his younger brothers and sisters. But all the time, his mom knew. It's just a matter of time. I, I mean, he's in the carpenter shop. He's, he's out on the job. But he's, he was born for a different calling. It's just a matter of time. And even when he was on the cross, there was that ministry of presence of his mom. She was there. 
she was there. And he was very, 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 very much aware of that. As he, as he looked to the other disciple and said, you take care of her. So Deborah encouraged Barak with this ministry of her presence. She, called, she, she came along beside him. She didn't say, man up, big boy, you know, strap them on, strap your boots up and let's go. She didn't do that. She just said, I'll go with you. Now, that's, that's awesome. And we could talk about, uh, about, about how much we need encouraging, and we do. But that was a ministry that Deborah had, and I, that, I think that is a ministry that all moms have the potential to be tremendous encouragers in your children, in your husbands, in your families. But the second thing I want to notice is, is this. Not only was Deborah a great encourager with her presence, but she was a great encourager for another reason. She tells uh, Barak this, and Barak says, okay, I'll, and she says, I'll go with you back there in verse 9. And so she does. In verse 10, Barak, uh, he, he, he gets the 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zeblin. And in, uh, in, in verse 12, uh, Barak uh, goes to Mount Tabor, or in verse 11, he goes to Mount Tabor over there by the Kishon River. And in verse 12, they tell, the, they tell Syria where Barak is. And in verse 13, Syria gathers all his army together, all his chariots, even 900. See, keeps mentioning this. That was, I mean, when, when those chariots rolled out, I imagine the ground literally shook. You had the horses, you had the weight of those iron chariots, you had those iron wheels. And it, it was, it must have been some, it must, it was designed to put fear into the hearts of anyone that, that would face them, and it did. And it was, it was designed to demoralize them. So Sirius, Syria and, uh, and his chariots and all the people that were with him, verse 13, they head toward the Kishon River where God told Deborah that he would bring them. Verse 14 is interesting because in verse 14, I can imagine that Barak's scouts come back and he says, and they say, he's, he's coming, he's on the way. He's on the way. And maybe they felt the ground, uh, the rumble. Maybe they heard it before they could ever see them. But there's just a little bit of a, even though Deborah's there, I can imagine by this point, Barak saying, what in the world are we doing out here facing them? You know, if we're going to do something about it, now it's time for us to, you know, they're, 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 we, they're on the way. Deborah's presence was there, but Deborah, being a wise leader and a wise mother, knew that it would take more than just her presence to help Barak. He needed more than that. And so what she tells him in verse 14, Deborah says to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Look at this. <clears throat> is not the Lord gone out before you? That was, that the phrase right there is awesome to me. She said, Barak, get up. Because God's already here. God has beat us here. She, she wanted to turn Barak's attention. She said, don't look at me. Don't look at the situation. Don't even look at your past victories. She said, don't look at those. She said, you, she 
readjust Barak's focus. She encourages him by reminding him to keep his focus on God, God's word, and his actions. There is the encouragement of her presence, but there is the encouragement of a refocusing on the word of God. And she said to him, Barak, you can do this because God has gone before you. Look to God. Don't look at me. Don't look at your victories. Don't look at your past failures. Don't look at those things. Look at God. He's the one who's gone out before you. What an encouragement that is. That was to him. And I believe what an encouragement that is to you and me today. I was thinking about this last night, really. I was thinking about this. What a good reminder this is for me and for us. Because there is nothing, there is no event, good or bad, good or bad, that comes into your life that surprises God. There is nothing that Jeff and Sarah are going to face. There is nothing that Miss Francis is going to face. There is nothing that William and Deborah is going to face that God's going to say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was going to happen. What am I going to do? He doesn't have to call an emergency meeting of the cabinet of heaven and get the angels together and say, boys, we got a problem down there. What's Nicole and Zach going to do? What's Jerry and Barbie going to do? What's going to happen? None of that. God is not surprised, even though we may be surprised. So to all the times in our life when we kind of think we've dealt with the fear and we're ready to go and we find ourselves there where God has told us to go and there comes that second thought and we hear the rumble of the chariots or we see the approach of the enemy, we need to take courage not only because God is there, but we need to take courage because we need to refocus on what he said and what he's going to do. Well, what happens? Here they come. Now, there's kind of an interesting thing here. I, I was reading about, I, I'm, I'm wanting to see what happens to this battle. Because that's verse 14. In verse 15, well, verse 14, it says, uh, he's gone before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, and he had his, his 10,000 men. <clears throat> verse 15 says, and the Lord discomfited Syria and all his chariots and all his hosts. And then... They have Syria running out of the, leaving his chariot on foot. And I, and I was kind of reading, I, I was reading different opinions, and I was trying to find out biblically. I, I, okay, I'll say, where does Scripture say that? Uh, go with me to chapter 5, just some interesting verses, and I'm going to speculate, and that's dangerous, but, I, but allow me to speculate a tactic. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 5, in this song that Deborah and Barak are singing, verse 18. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeopardized their lives unto death in the high places of the field. All right, she's singing this song. This is where the, the 10,000 men come from. The kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan by the waters of Megiddo. They took no money, no gain of money. They didn't, they didn't win. They fought, they fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away. That ancient river, the river Kishon, O my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of the prancings and the prancings of their mighty ones. Now, the Kishon River, everything I could find out about it was not that, it's not a big river. It's not the little Tennessee, okay? It's not the Mississippi. Uh, 
it was, it was more like Notley in the dead of summer, in a dry time, okay? Literally, I mean, there's, you, you, there's places you can walk across it and not even get waist deep, you know? There's places you can walk across. It's not that big a deal. And so it led me even more so, by the way, the wordings of this song, because I read several accounts, and they said what happened is as the iron chariots approached these 10,000 troops of Barak and Deborah, that God sent a tremendous rainstorm with thunder and lightning that, that, and, and, a, and a flood that sw- swelled the river. And when it says here they were washed away, it, it, I'm, I'm thinking, now, now that, God, that's so cool. First of all, if the Canaanites are on the way, and those things, I mean, again, with these iron chariots, one thing that they did not want to do is they didn't want to fight in a swampy place. They didn't want to fight where there was mud. You don't pull an iron chariot through iron, iron. You don't pull one of them heavy things through a mud hole and through a lot of mud holes, you know? And I'm thinking, it'd be, so, it'd be just like God. I know what he did. I don't, all I know is that he, he gave a great victory. I don't know if it was through a storm and rain, whatever, but it would be so cool to think as they're on the way and they, they get the Israelites' army in their sights that all of a sudden the skies, out of the skies comes thunder and lightning and rain because what was one of their gods? Baal. And Baal is a god of storms. Oh, I know. Oh, well, this there got the, and then there's something. What are you doing, God? Don't you know? I don't know. I, I do know that something happened that here that they were defeated. And I do know that it got so bad that their king, Sisera, Sisera, I can't even say, I don't know how to say it. Anyway, that S-man, he leaves his chariot and tries to get away on foot. You know, forget the iron chariot. Forget that thing. It, it, it's, it's not that, that was my... That was my secret weapon. It wasn't secret. That, that was the most useful weapon I've got now is a liability to me. I'm going it on foot. Now, little did he, little did Caesarea know that there was a Kenite woman named J.L. that had him pegged from the beginning. And uh, that was a pun. You'll have to read the story. You have to read the story. But there was a great victory, a tremendous victory. And so what happened, what happened is that they, they defeated the Canaanite armies, short order. They had defeated Jabin, and Israel then uh, experienced a time, another time of peace under Deborah as she was leading their nation. And I was thinking about this. Deborah uh, was a woman of faith in God's word. When God spoke to her, she believed him. She was a woman of obedience to God's word to the point that she would tell her general what God said and then when the general needed reassurance she said it's no big deal I'll go with you because God has said he's going to deliver him to her hand she was a woman of faith in God's word she was a woman of obedience to God's word but she was a woman of courage because of God's word wow what a mother like you like you I've thought of all this, and I thought of Deborah, and I've been waiting for, for weeks and months. I've, I've, this has been churning in my mind because when I read about her, I wanted, to, I wanted to say, this is the kind of moms that God has blessed us with in the house of prayer. This is the kind of moms that are sitting out there this morning. And this was the kind of moms that have sat here in the years past that now are in heaven. They really are. We've been so blessed as a church family. And by the way, Candy, I was going to say, it's good to have Candy's mom. 
Ron and Brenda back here, and Brenda's just had knee replacement surgery, and then have her brother, Chris, or I mean, it's good to have, but he has blessed us here at the House of Prayer with uh, spiritual moms that believed God, that obeyed God, and that feared God. You know, they took, they took courage in his word. They blessed us. I, 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 last night, Barbie and I were talking, and I, and I hesitate. I, I know, and I know she said, honey, you can't do that. I said, I can't because I can't name names. You know, I, I, but I want to, but there's so many because I could, I could sit and I could, I could just start going down the rows here and I would see those people and I would think of, of moms and family members in the middle. I, I, I think of that. I, Sue Kelly, I just mentioned, she was, she comes to mind because of camp. Sue is, uh, was Gary's mom and she had four boys, Gary and Donald and Bobby and David, okay? Had two girls, Polly and Gail. She had six kids, okay? And so we were, uh, we were talking about, as a church, talking about building a, a Bible camp on this side of the lake. We'd been meeting over at Canal Lake and things had changed and, and that wasn't a good place. And, and we had bought some property and we wanted to build a Bible camp, but we didn't have any money. And Sue was a mom of six. And Sue said, you know what? I make really good angel food cakes. And Sue began making angel food cakes. She bought the, she, they had eggs, they had the chickens, but she got eggs, she bought the supplies. And, and, and her kitchen literally turned into an angel food cake bakery. I don't know how many hundreds of angel food cakes she made. I remember being there as a young teenage boy and I, their, their kitchen was here and the dining room was right there. And I remember, I remember going, I remember seeing the cake mixer and I remember seeing this. And I remember this, and, and every, she sold angel food cakes. I think she sold them for $10 a piece. And every, every time she sold a cake, that money went to buy blocks and cement and mortar to build the camp. But, but what that did was, is just her saying, her doing what she could do was an encouragement to everybody else. We can do something. So somebody said, well, we'll grow pepper. We'll put out pepper. The pepper plant was here. We can raise pepper and we'll all grow pepper and we'll sell the pepper and we'll build the camp. It was that kind of encouragement and involvement. Miss, uh, Miss Dorothy Helton was, was another. Dorothy was a, she was one of my Sunday school teachers. Dorothy was a great Sunday school teacher. She was a prayer warrior. Dorothy's the one that you've heard me tell the story. It was a Wednesday night. And Dorothy just said, Clarence, I think if you'd let us pray for you tonight, God's wanting to do something. Dad was, uh, had an incurable kidney disease. There was no cure for it. He was, he was dying of it, and there's nothing they could do. And Dorothy just said that one Wednesday night. We prayed for him. He, he never had blood in his kidneys from that night forward. He never died of, a, of anything related to a kidney disease. God healed him. She was a great prayer warrior. Dorothy was a, a great soul winner. She quickly took over. Uh, and ran the mailbox club. So the, the birthday offerings and the anniversary offerings, all that money, all that money goes to buy stamps and to buy lessons. And Dorothy, hundreds of people over the years that she led into the kingdom of God, only eternity is going to reveal how many people there because she answered the lessons, she told them about Christ and they responded. And now her daughter, Frances, does the mailbox club. I could think of so many as I... You hear me talk of Mossy May. Mossy was my, again, I know some of these because they affected me a lot, but there's a lot I could think of. But Mossy, got to tell this, Mossy May was bound and determined that if any of her children or grandchildren didn't come to church on Sunday morning, it would not be because they overslept. So she, every Sunday morning, 
Everyone that had a phone, she called. Every one of them, she would go through her list. And it was usually around 7 o'clock. We had 10 o'clock service, 10 o'clock Sunday school. And usually about 7 o'clock, every Sunday morning, she'd call and she'd say, are you up? Are you getting ready to church? Don't be late for church. And uh, some of you here, I guarantee you, Judy, did she ever call you? I guarantee you, there's some of you here that she, every Sunday morning, her kids and her grandkids and then others. Now, that was, that's kind of encouraging. But if I just tell you, in all fairness and disclosure, the last few months, maybe the last year or so of her life, Mossy had, um, I think you call it sundowners. Is that what it is? She, if she nodded off late in the afternoon, she would wake up disoriented, wouldn't know where it was morning time or not. And, and there were times, there's a couple times she'd come 12 o'clock at night. Jury, are you up yet? It's time to go to church, get ready to go to church. And, and some of you kind of knew that. Some, I think some of the kids kind of would help her with, with, with that. But she was bound and determined. She did all she could do to make sure that she was an encouragement to her family, to her kids and her grandkids. Could go on. I think of Barb's mom, Gladys Rogers. And Gladys worked as long as she lived. One of the hardest working women I've ever known. And I'm blessed to be married to her daughter. On my day off, Barbie about kills me. Every Monday, she crowds so much into it. But she's there with me, working with me. And I'll, and I'll say Monday night, I praise God I get to go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> it, it, it was easy. But, I, you know, and she'll just say, take, take a handful of ibuprofen, honey, and it'll be all right in the morning. Uh, but, but Gladys worked hard all her life. And the, and the last, and the, one of the things that she did, she said, because I want to honor God for giving me the strength to work. And she would tithe every week. She tithed off her what she earned. And she would give that to, to Barbie or the family. And she would say, I want this to go to pay for her kid's way to camp. That was a, that she believed in the life-changing ministry of Canal Lake Bible Camp. And she said, and, and that's how she invested. And she said, I want this to go to Bible Camp. We could, we could talk. I've got names of Rita Faye and Ethlyn and others, so many others, Miss Kinnersley and so many others. But we've been blessed so much. But we continue to be blessed by you. And so now it's time for us to, to bless you and to be a blessing to you and honor you in some ways. And we're going to do that with, with these flowers.